When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey friends, this is Matthias Roberts, and you're listening to Queerology, a podcast on belief in being. This is episode 127. I think the best thing they can do and ever did was the listening and then wanting to know more about it and asking questions. So do you remember a few weeks ago when we did the QYF Day episode and and I said that we had had a whole panel lined up and then things fell through because I didn't schedule well. (laughs) So I was going to do individual interviews with each of the people who were going to be on the panel. This is the first of those interviews. So today I'm chatting with Emily Regenstreif. Emily's 31 years old, works as a receptionist in Portland, Oregon, and spends most of her free time playing Dungeons and Dragons and writing. She says that she's working on the same novel that she's been working on since she was 18 and says she'll probably never finish it, but it's fun to think about, (laughs) which I empathize with that so much. That is real. (laughs) I'm really excited to have Emily on the show today. When we were planning out the QIF Day panel that we were going to do for this year, the idea was to have people from different generations or, or different age brackets talking about their experiences growing up and being queer youth of faith. So we were going to have people who, you know, are still considered youth. <laughs> and then we were going to have people who, you know, aren't considered youth anymore, but had experiences growing up queer in faith communities. Emily is one of those people. She grew up queer in Portland, Oregon, in a Jewish faith community. And had a lovely experience, which is a little bit of a different story than what we talk about on Queerology. I feel like so many of the guests we have on the show come from, you know, kind of traumatic backgrounds. That's not Emily's story. So it's a delightful conversation. You'll hear more about her through our conversation, so I'm not going to say much more. No announcements today, so let's just go ahead and dive in. Emily, hi, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, yeah, I'm thrilled to have you here. Thank you for, I mean, we're we're kind of getting into this episode with both of us not having much context for each other. So <laughs> I'm, I'm excited to see where this goes. I like to think I'm all right with new people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, to start, this is the question I ask everyone. How do you identify and how has your faith helped form that identity? So I identify as queer, and that identification has changed a lot since I came out in college as bi, and it's just kind of grown and shifted. And I also identify as Jewish, and am Jewish. I technically converted. No, I officially converted. So that's the sort of boiled down version of it. And as far as what faith did and affected my you know, journey with my queerness, I actually kind of got really, really lucky in that department. And when I was like 14, so way back in like 2004, I live in Portland, Oregon, and I saw, I think it was on the cover of a local paper, an article saying that congregation Neva Shalom, which is the congregation that I attended with my father growing up, still do, had started performing gay marriages like long before it was legal. 
And so I didn't know I was queer at that point. And knowing that I kind of went home and I talked to my dad about it. And I was like, Hey, Neva Shalom's doing gay marriages. What do you think about that? And he was like, I think it's a great thing because that's what people are and that's who they are. And so even before, like, I knew it was a part of who I was, I was accepted in my religious space. And so I think that actually helped me come out because when I, you know, got to college and had my first like, oh, this girl is like the best thing ever. (laughs) I was able to just kind of go home and know I didn't have to worry about my parents or the religious area and that I could, you know, one day if I married someone of the same gender or somewhere else on the gender spectrum, I would be able to get married in my synagogue if I wanted to. I imagine, and you can tell me if this is true, but but at the time that you may not have realized kind of how significant that was <laughs> to just kind of have that be like a, it doesn't really matter. Like you can be yourself, you can be you in that faith context regardless. I mean, did you have an awareness of that or did that come later? So I had some of an awareness because I actually went to a Catholic high school. And so a lot of my friends were in Catholic churches and very Christian churches, and they did not have that in their religious spaces. They couldn't come out, even though some of them knew before I did, they weren't safe in that space. So I did know actually how rare that kind of thing was. But my whole queer experience has been just like charmed and lucky as what all. (laughs) So I've got good parents, good siblings. You mentioned when you were kind of answering around how you identify that that your queerness has, you know, evolved and kind of taken on different shapes over time. I, I would love to hear a little bit of what that journey was like. So that journey is definitely still happening, but it started with this, you know, one girl in college who kind of just totally knocked me on my ass. Like I didn't see it coming. I was kind of a late bloomer to being attracted to anybody. And I later found out that that was tied in with asexuality. But, you know, I had pictures of Joseph Gordon-Levitt on my wall. Yes. I'm like, (laughs) I mean, most people probably did, but like it was him and like Paul Dano of all people. So like those were the faces on my bed. The Jonas Brothers were, you know, the people I had on my bedroom wall. And so like I kind of met this girl and just like it was I knew when I met her, I was like, oh, this is what it's like to be gay. And then I sort of slowly came out to my friends who all of them kind of laughed at me. And I was like, what? And they're like, you've liked girls since you were like at least 15. And I was like, how do you know? And they're like, the second you got a laptop, your computer screensaver was rotating pictures of Julia Stiles. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, in retrospect, I should have realized some things probably sooner than I did. So that was fun. And I spent a lot of time working out what I was attracted to and what I wanted. And so it was bi for a long time. And then I kind of switched over to pan when I was like pan romantic, when I was starting to realize what asexuality was and that that's very much a spectrum that I'm certainly on. And so for me, it didn't have anything to do with any kind of like sexual organ or gender. I was very attracted to specific people. And I found a lot of people like physically pleasing to look at that I would never want to date. And then sort of in the last few years, I stopped seeing men and kind of was identifying as a lesbian for a while. And I'm still kind of closer 
on that spectrum, but I think I really just don't want to date straight cis people because some of them are perfectly wonderful and perfectly fine, but I just am more attracted to either women or other queer people. And, you know, if I'm attracted to women, they're probably queer if they're attracted back. So generally attracted to the LGBTQIA plus community. <laughs> you mentioned being on the ACE spectrum, which is, I mean, something we've, we've talked a little bit about on, on the show before. Um, I, I'd be curious, again, if you're willing to kind of, I mean, what's been your experience of even kind of teasing that out amongst the presence of, I mean, your other identities? Like, like I, I imagine as I'm hearing you talk, like it's been such an evolution and, and kind of discovery, it almost sounds like. What's that been like to kind of navigate? So that's actually been, I would say, the hardest part of my journey with both either, you know, queerness or faith, because coming out to my friends was easy, coming out to my family was easy, coming out and being, you know, queer at my synagogue and at the Jewish community center was easy. But realizing that I didn't want to have sex with anyone and that like I couldn't really, you know, that just wasn't a part of who I was was very strange because that wasn't something I had ever heard of until like pretty deep into college. And so I thought I was confused by it. I thought maybe I just hadn't met the right person. And then it's still tricky because it's hard to find people who want that. I'm still wor- still working on that, still journeying on that. But it's, you know, I think if, if the right person was going to come and rev the engines, they would have by now. I've dated and met and hung out with a lot of really fantastic and very attractive people. So I don't really think I have anything profound to say on that matter. It's just, I think, a pretty generally, until very recently, underrepresented part of the community. But, you know, a lot of my friends recently, I've learned that they're somewhere on that spectrum. And it's not, you know, black and white, like none of it is. But uh, I've learned that a lot more of my friends are kind of closer to where I am. I'm kind of on the extreme end of asexuality, I think. I mean, I like physical contact. I love hugs. I like kissing. But anything other than that, I'm just like, can we just watch a movie instead? I'm curious if, like, as you've leaned into and kind of discovered these parts of yourself that are on on the ace spectrum, like, has there been element of of almost, like, grief involved? I mean, because, and I ask that from the sense of, like the sense of living in in such dominant cultures, like sexuality is talked about as being like, at least in in my context of Christianity, is like the essence of personhood almost, right? And and so to to separate that out and actually say, no, <laughs> there's far <laughs> more to being a person than sex. Like I, I'm wondering if if you've had to change your relationship with yourself even in that. A little bit because I, it was, I wouldn't say grief necessarily, but I'm an incredibly sex positive person. And so trying to kind of reconcile my sex positive attitude with the fact that I don't want to have any was tricky. I never planned on having my own kids. I'm very much, I know I can love kids that didn't come out of me. And so I've always planned on adopting if kids are ever in my future. And so there wasn't like any kind of, kind of loss or grief in the like, oh, I'm going to have to do this thing I don't want to do to have kids which I think is a part of it. But no, I wouldn't say it was, it's grief. It confuses me sometimes. And like, I sometimes think my life would be easier if I were not asexual, because I think it would be easier to find a partner. And I do eventually want that. It's shocking the number of people you go out on a couple dates and then you're like, by the way, I'm asexual. 
and they kind of reevaluate you completely. And so I lead with it now because not worth anybody's time to, you know, not get that out there. So as you've navigated being in like such a kind of affirming space with, with family, with, with your synagogue, with, I mean, your, your community, I, I'm hearing you talk about everything like in such kind of explorative language. And, and I feel like, you know, a lot of people I talk to on this show, like it, it takes some years to even be able to get to the point of ex- exploration, right? Where exploration feels freeing instead of shameful. Like it, it makes me wonder in, in your experience, like what that has freed you up to be able to be. I mean, d- does that even make sense? <laughs> like, I mean, I think I understand. However, what I may be understanding may not be at all what you're trying to say. Um, so I think one of the main things that it actually changed for me was I pulled a lot of my friends into a comfortable space because a lot of my friends are queer in some fashion. And I've had more than one person tell me that they would not be as comfortable with themselves as they are if I hadn't been in their life present and as comfortable with myself. And, you know, my family's always been accepting of my friends. And if their families aren't accepting, they can come over and get like a hug from my mom or my dad. And, you know, they're not running around at pride with the like, I'm your mom now shirts, but they're, (laughs) they are those parents. Like my mom gets me a, she got me a pride cookie the other day at the bakery. Like, yeah, it was just a sweet little thing. And they're very open. And so I have been able to not only kind of encourage my own exploration, but I think I've been able to reassure people that it's, it does get better and it's not all terrible. And sometimes it, it's okay to be who you are because I was always pretty comfortable with it. And that makes other people comfortable when they see other people comfortable with who they are. That's like my favorite thing about it is that I get to share it with others. I'm imagining, and this may be reading too far into it, but I'd be curious what you'd have to say that there's almost a space of because you don't have the kind of trauma that is sometimes associated with being queer <laughs> and religious in some ways that that you're able to embody this intersection in a way that that feels maybe far more generative or or, or hopeful like like almost just by being you you share this example of what could be different <laughs> about the world and, and are almost inviting people into it, it it sounds like yeah i think that's true i mean knowing that like the synagogue i go to is not a small congregation it's one of the bigger ones in the portland area and so knowing that you know it's not one of those like tiny churches on the corner that has like the pride flag on the sign and has like maybe a hundred members there are tons and tons of people and it's an accepting space and so knowing that that can exist tells me that it can, it can exist. And so there is definitely some hopefulness in my own experience that, you know, as people learn and they grow this kind of thing and that sort of religious community will become more common. And that if people want to be religious, but the church or the community that they're in isn't accepting, that you don't have to, it doesn't have to be one or the other. You can find that congregation or that church or whatever that will accept you because it is, you know, there are varying degrees of religion in every religion. 
what would you say at, at this point in, and maybe not speaking in like broad generalizations, but, but at least in your experience in your faith is maybe the biggest thing facing LGBTQ Jewish people at, at this moment. Like, like I'm, I'm hearing you say you go to this very accepting synagogue and maybe the answer is, there isn't a conflict, <laughs> but, but, but I'm curious if there, if there are things that you feel like you're facing being Jewish and queer that you're working on. I am not facing very much of that personally. I'm not deep, deep in the community. I go to shul on the high holy days. Sometimes I go to Rosh Hodesh services, which is a, a monthly service that is like predominantly for women and led by women. So I go to that sometimes. And I worked at the Jewish Community Center for many, many years. But I, yeah, I haven't really had any big face-offs with my queerness and my faith at all. I live in the very Jewish part of Portland, and I know that not all sects of Judaism, even within this city, are anywhere near as accepting as what I have grown up with and gotten to experience. And so like, I know very much I'm not, it's not like, oh, Jewish is the queer religion. Come be Jewish. (laughs) Like that's very much not the case. It's like the extreme of anything. And I think it was nice. I had a friend in high school who was a rabbi's daughter and she came out actually before I did. And when I came back from college, I would like go to her house for Shabbat dinner with her rabbi father. And she was out and I was out and it was comfortable. And we'd, you know, have Shabbat. And then Saturday after the sun went down, we'd go out to the all ages gay club together. And so it wasn't just me. There was this other person in my life that was in the religion even deeper than I was. And her father was a religious leader. And he was like, yeah, you're my daughter. I love you. That's who you are. It's fine. So I never had, (laughs) and that was not even, he wasn't even the rabbi at my synagogue. So there, that was a different shul. What a gift. Yeah, it really really was. I'm curious what you would say to folks who are then in kind of a place of struggle or having a or who are having a hard time even imagining a life kind of beyond what they know of struggle. <laughs> I'm curious if you'd have words for those folks kind of based on on your context and, and what you know. If someone came to me and they said they were grappling with queerness and religion and feeling like it was the two sides of the magnet that are the same and they push away, then I would probably tell them what my experience was because I think example and hearing that something actually did and can happen is the best way to believe that it can happen. I would invite them to come to shul with me if they wanted to. They can come to Shabbat dinner at my parents' house, which we don't do every week or even all that often, but it's an open thing. And I think the best thing that you can say to someone or that I would say to someone is that there's no like wrong way to be yourself and all the different parts of you that you think don't fit together can. It just takes time and the right situation. And for some people like me, that's very easy. And it all slid into place, you know, very young. And for some people, it takes, I think, a lifetime to find that kind of comfort. All I can really offer other people is my experience and my quote-unquote success story. It's interesting, though, as I'm hearing you share that like, you're talking about these spaces of comfort 
Absolutely. And in these places of where you've, you've been able to find that. But I think also, at least I, I know when I was younger, <laughs> kind of working through these things for myself, admittedly in a different context, I, I had this sense of like, if I hadn't been raised the way I was, I would know all of this. Like, like my life would be perfect <laughs> or whatever, you know, that kind of idealized vision of if I didn't have this religious trauma, things would be great. And I'm hearing you say like things are comfortable, but I'm also hearing you say like, you're still on a journey. Like you're still figuring some of these things out. I mean, is that fair? Oh yeah, that's very fair. <laughs> There's always going to be something in life that's hard. My things that were hard just didn't happen to be related to my queerness and my faith, I guess. And so I've not suffered that particular thing. I've been around a ton of people who have. I went to a Catholic high school. A lot of people at my high school were out and knew that they were queer long before I did and when they were in high school. And I think there were a lot of challenges there that I sort of got to miss out on. Like, luckily, I got to miss out on that because I didn't realize I was queer until college. And by the time I came out, I was pretty much in accepting spaces all the time. And I think there's even an impulse, at least I've heard it and, and experienced it in myself that, again, if I hadn't experienced religious trauma, then I would know my identity. Like, I wouldn't even have to wrestle with what my identity is, right? And I think that's a really appealing idea, that like that idea of like, I'll, I just know. <laughs> I just know who I am. And it's because of this trauma that I didn't know, still don't know, you know, so on and so forth. And and, and I think what I'm really appreciating about what, what you're saying is like, that journey is still there. <laughs> like, it may look a little bit different, but I think I'm hearing you say like, you don't really, you know, capital K, no, you're still figuring it out. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there are things that I definitely know and things that I got to know in an accepting space because I was so lucky. Like, I know I'm not straight. I know that for sure. But that's really the only thing I truly know. I know that I'm straight I or not straight. Wow. <laughs> not straight. <laughs> and I know that I'm Jewish. And I know that those things can work together if the right, you know, ingredients are there. But everything else is still changing and growing. And I mean, my brain's fully developed. I'm 31. so. I don't think there's any time or setup that's going to help you know exactly what and who you are any sooner than anybody else. There are just things that help you accept it and vocalize it sooner, maybe. And, you know, I got to talk through my journey with my parents, with my sister, with my friends at school, with my friends at school. And I think that's a big part of the difference, too. But yeah, I don't know any more than anybody else. I don't think this was luckier. Have you heard something on Queerology that's made a big impact on your life? Do you now follow one of my guests because you've met them here? Because of the format of Queerology, you get to meet people in a way that lets you relate and connect. There's something uniquely personal and intimate about the conversations that happen here. If this is something you've experienced, then help me keep these conversations going by making a financial gift and becoming a Queerology Active Listener. You'll get access to the Active Listener's Facebook group right away, a place for all of us to continue these conversations throughout the week. All you need to do is jump over to patreon.com slash Roberts. Choose your gift amount, and you'll be an active listener. It's really easy. 
That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Matthias Roberts. I really look forward to meeting you in the Facebook group. It feels like it even opens up that space to kind of not know. Like, like there's a freedom, I think I'm hearing in what you're saying, where I think sometimes as, I'd be curious if you agree with this, like as, as queer people, there, there's almost a sense of forced rigidity of like, we have to be able to use these labels to define us. Otherwise, what will people know about us? Like, how will people know who we are? W- which I feel like is kind of based in heteronormativity. We have to know and have labels. Um, and I feel like religious trauma can really reinforce that too because it's almost a fight against (laughs) and i'm not hearing that in your story like there's so much space for not knowing for exploring your identity there's a freedom there yeah i mean i think only the one time that i felt pushed into a label was actually by another queer person and it was someone that i'd known for a while and he was gay And at that time, I was identifying as bi, and I'd introduced him to a couple of boyfriends over the time that we'd known each other, but I'd never had a girlfriend. And at one point, he told me I was queer baiting him because I only dated guys. And I said I was bi. And that's the only time that I really felt like I had to have a label for anybody. And it wasn't in my religious community, and it wasn't in my home, and it wasn't in my friend group, really. It was this other person that was in the LGBTQ community with me. So. I do think a lot of the like push for labels is rooted in heteronormativity, but it is not exclusively that. But I think a big part of why I was able to kind of go on a journey and know that I didn't have to know actually does go back to religion, which is that my mom is actually Presbyterian. My dad is the Jewish one. And so I grew up in going to church and going to synagogue. And my parents kind of raised us in both religions and told us when we were older, we would get to make whatever choices felt comfortable and right to us. And um, I never took to church. I never took to the Christian Presbyterian side of things, despite the fact that I went to a Catholic school. And so when I was about 13, I made the choice to convert to Judaism because it's technically carried through the mother. So my mother not being Jewish meant that technically neither was I. And so I went through the whole conversion process, but my parents let me go on that journey at my own speed and at my own pace. And then when I made a decision, they supported it. And so I had my bat mitzvah about two and a half years later than most girls do. And so being able to have that journey where my family had opinions about it, but let me kind of explore it for myself, gave me that ability to then explore the other parts of me that I wasn't sure about and still I'm not. And still feel comfortable. I know there are a lot of parents who listen to this show. Like, what would you say that your parents did well? I'm hearing a lot of things. <laughs> but like, <laughs> your parents did well in giving you that space to actually explore these things. I mean, I have a really wonderful mother and father. So a lot of it was just that they were always open religiously. They were always open for conversation, they were always open to the LGBTQ community. And they're still willing to kind of learn as things change and they learn more and meet more people. But I think the best thing they did was just there was never anything I couldn't say to them regarding 
you know, my journey with religion or my journey with my queerness or my journey with college. And sometimes I felt like I couldn't. And so I held things back because I would hear, you know, my other friends say they tried to have a conversation and it went terribly. And so I got afraid. But every time I actually sat down with my parents to have these conversations, they were very accepting. I mean, I remember being terrified coming out to them and I think they knew. They didn't say that they knew, but I think that they did. And I was just basically like home on, I think I was home for winter break from college and we were out at a restaurant and I'm not good at keeping secrets and I'm not good at lying. And so I was just physically uncomfortable with the fact that I had something I needed to tell them. And I just like told them in this restaurant and they were like, and I mentioned that, you know, I'd fallen for someone and they were like, oh, tell me about her. Like that was it. That was the reaction. And so it wasn't just like an okay moving on. It was an okay and tell me more sort of thing. And so I think that's sort of the best way to describe it. And I have held a lot of things back from them. I was in a relationship that I had to keep quiet about because the other person was not out and she couldn't be. She was never able to come out. But after the relationship, I still felt like I couldn't tell people, even though, you know, it was over and I was hurting. And I ended up calling my mom, like crying. And she was in Mexico and she flew home. Like I was sobbing and I was like, this thing is over and I don't really know how to explain what it was. And I'm really, really sad. And I need you right now. And she was like, all right, I'm getting on a plane. And I mean, there, there was a little more to it that I can't say for, you know, this person's privacy. But yeah, like the conversation has always been open. And when I was younger, I didn't realize that as much as I do now. But yeah, I think the best thing they can do and ever did was the listening and then wanting to know more about it and asking questions. Like when I was telling my dad that I was pan, he didn't know what that meant, but he wanted to know. And when I was explaining, you know, they, them pronouns, which I use she, her pronouns, but I was explaining to my parents, you know, how it worked. And my dad, it took him a long time to get his head around it, but it was about a 45 minute conversation of him trying and trying to learn and being open to that. That's huge. I, I think for all of us, <laughs> like, like the, the sense of asking those questions, leaning into those places where we feel like we don't know and actually admitting like we don't know what we don't know. And then stepping forward in that instead of the, the kind of backing away, which which I feel like is an impulse that is very easy to follow, <laughs> to just kind of back away. I agree. <laughs> and I think my parents probably have had times where they wanted to, but they didn't. So I'll give them credit for that for sure. I have this really vivid memory. This wasn't actually all that long ago. I was on the phone with my mom and she was like, oh, what are you doing today? And I was like, oh, I'm going to see Boy Erased at the movie theater. And she was like, I don't know what that is. And I explained to her a little bit what it was. And she was like, can I come? And I was like, um, sure. And so we went and, you know, there were like three total people in the theater. It was like a beautiful day. And um, we watched this movie, which is about a young gay man who gets like sent through the conversion therapy ringer, essentially. And my mom was just hugging me at the end and we were both crying. And she was like, I'm so glad I didn't do that to you. And I was like, I'm really glad you didn't do that to me, too. But. I just remember having that that moment with her where she was like able to go into a theater, watch a movie like that, and come out knowing that because of the choices she made, I didn't suffer that experience. I mean, that movie 
is not easy to watch. Have you read the book? <laughs> I have read the book. I have not watched the movie. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not a fun experience, but no. Yeah. I actually yeah. listened to the audiobook on an airplane. Did you? Wow. I was just crying. Poor person next to me just oh pretending gosh. I didn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, just just the difference. Like, like I I sent I did I sent that book to my parents and was like, oh, here, no. read this. Like, this is like essentially like what you put me through. <laughs> so we had the complete opposite experiences with that right. same piece of material. Uh-huh. Right, right. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You can come hang out with my mom. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, but but I mean, just just that like that that vast difference and, and and that sense of like the, there are parents in the world like even that reminder like there are parents in the world who are like yours who can recognize those things like like i i don't know if it's weird but like even that gives me a level of kind of hope of like oh yeah like not all parents are like this i mean that's just really lovely I think, I don't know if this will give even more hope, but my mom was actually raised in a very Christian, very conservative, you know, her upbringing would not have accepted her if she was like me. And my grandparents on her end both died long before I knew anything about my sexuality, but they probably wouldn't have liked me very much. And so my mom was able to grow up in that and learn away from it. So she unlearned somewhere in between moving out of that house and having me and raising me, she unlearned a lot of things that could have made my life very difficult if she had not unlearned them. So I think that says a lot about what people are capable of. It's just a matter of them choosing to do the work. And my mom did. And I don't know as much about the situation on my dad's end because his parents died before I was even born. But my my cousins on that side are all very nice. And very accepting. So I don't know if he was raised in quite the strict upbringing that my mom was, but yeah. I mean, she caught a ton of flack. I don't think her dad spoke to her for a couple years because she married a Jewish guy. So, like, she had already, I think, experienced some version of that pain and was determined not to pass it on to her kids. I imagine by the time this airs, Pride Month will be over. But given that we're recording this during Pride Month, this is a question I love asking people, and it almost a complete change of topic. <laughs> but, but like, <laughs> what does pride mean to you? This is going to be a weird thing to say. I think I'm part of a writing community that does a pride like short story exchange, or it doesn't have to be a short story. It can be a playlist. It can be art. I do short stories because that is my only artistic capability. And we do an exchange every year for pride. And when I was working on the piece that I was working on. This year for that, one of the like recurring things that came up was there was a character who felt like he needed to be one specific way to be involved in Pride. And this other character was constantly like, no, Pride is for everyone. Yes, there's like lesbian country music and all this other stuff. Because it was kind of a music themed writing piece. So I made like a playlist and then just kind of wrote around it. But it was a lot of talking about how Pride isn't just for white people. It's not just for gay people. It encapsulates, you know, the A spectrum, even if you're heteromantic, you're still in there, like trans, non-binary, like anything that's not cut and dry standard heterosexuality is a part of pride. And I think that gets so lost 
by so many people. And so that's a part of why I kind of pull back from pride a little bit is because I don't want to, I don't know how to celebrate it the way that I would want to. So I don't post a lot of pride stuff, but I'm also, you know, all year I'm like, this is who I am. And I've been lucky enough that I can always, I've always had that. So I've never felt the need to project it the way that I think other people absolutely need that because they didn't always have that ability to say, this is who I am. And so a lot about pride for me is actually just like being proud of other people in my life and seeing them grow and change. And one of my friends recently came out as trans to his family. And he talked to me a little about, bit about it, like about how nervous he was before. And he didn't know they were going to be accepting. He had no idea. And they were, and they were great. And they got him a cake with his name on it. And it was lovely and wonderful. And I was like, so proud to have, you know, been on that journey to any degree with him. And so that was really wonderful. <laughs> I mean, it's so interesting that you're saying that because it feels like it, it's bringing up memories for me. And I think putting into some language, some things I haven't like had languaged for me before uh, of like, so, so the first pride that I ever went to was in Fayetteville, Arkansas, <laughs> which is, you know, it's, it's small. I mean, Fayetteville isn't tiny, but, but small Arkansas kind of town. And, and where pride, I mean, it was a tiny pride parade, like a small little group of people marched down a little avenue. And then we all got together in a single tiny little park and had lunch together. Like that was pride. And that's the kind of pride I want to go to. Yeah. Like it was, it was beautiful. <laughs> and, and then the next pride that I went to was in Seattle, which, you know, like 400,000, 500,000 people. And like that, I mean, it was such this incredible experience, but I think some of what I'm hearing you say, like some of that deeper meaning of, of what like pride actually is. And not to say that it's not present in Seattle, but it felt much more embodied by that tiny little parade in Arkansas. <laughs> there's so, I feel like there's so much noise surrounding pride and this is hardly, hardly like a profound statement, but a lot of it is corporations trying to get a cookie at this point in big cities. And so, yeah, like a bunch of, you know, people in the community having lunch together feels a lot more like what I want. But there's no, you know, right or wrong way to be proud of who you are as long as you're not hurting anybody else. So, like, I love Pride Month. I like seeing what people post. I like seeing rainbows and windows. I just don't go to Pride parades because, A, it's hot and sunny (laughs) by June. And if it's not raining, I don't want to be outside. And um, it's just not, I'm much better in smaller groups. But I feel like I'm may come across as like bashing pride and no i do love it i love it very much i like that we get all the queer media in like one month and then i ingest it and then i miss it for the next 11 months that's so real that's so real yeah like all the books come out on june 1st and i'm done with them all by july 1st and then it's like wait but where are the rest of them so like i think that's another thing i like about pride month is that's when all the all the new stuff comes out a lot of the time emily Thank you so much for joining me. This has been lovely. I I know, unexpected. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Thanks for having me. I hope some of what I said was interesting. Yeah. No, I mean, this was, was, like I said, lovely. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. I've never sat down and, like, talked about this for an extended period of time before. So, yeah, thank you very much for having this conversation with me. Totally. Yeah. 
Queerology is on Twitter and Instagram at QueerologyPod, or you can tweet me directly at Matthias Roberts. Queerology is made possible because of you. To find out how you can keep Queerology on the air by becoming an active listener, head over to patreon.com slash Matthias Roberts. A really easy way to support the show is by leaving a rating and a review. You can do that right in your podcast app or head to MatthiasRoberts.com slash review and it'll take you right there. As always, I'd love to hear from you. If you have ideas of what you want to hear in the show or just want to say hi, reach out. I'll get back to you. And until next time, y'all, bye! Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.